0: Good morning. Morning. Give it up for Jimmy Scruggs. (laughs) Not bad, not bad. Nice to see everybody today. If you're tuning in online, thank you for being here. Uh, If you're out in the atrium enjoying the sunny, sunny, sunny sunshine today, that's wonderful. If you're here in our starlit room, glad to have you here as well. Uh, We're in a series called The Way of Peace, where we're talking about developing a rule of life, uh, which is basically just a very gentle um, mm-hmm guide for us, right? It's not like these hard and fast rules, but it's just this idea of commitments that we make to really live out this peacemaking way of Jesus. The invitation of Jesus is to follow him, to take his yoke upon us, which really is this idea of living life a certain way. And that's what it means to follow Jesus. And we talk about that in terms of peacemaking here at Crossroads. So if you're a guest, that's where we are. A little quick review in case you uh, missed one of the past few weeks. We launched this series two weeks ago, and we said that a Jesus-centered life is a peace-centered life. A lot of times, if you're in church world, you'll hear this idea, oh, let's just be Jesus-centered people. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean we put put up pictures of like white Caucasian American Jesus uh, who loves America more than everybody else? Or what does that actually mean? And so we kind of dove in, we kind of dove into this idea that no, to say that we're centered on Jesus, they we're centered on peace, because that really was the announcement, right? Peace on earth. It did not say peace in Colorado, peace in America, peace on earth to everybody, right? And then last week we came, we talked about our first commitment, our first commitment on the way of peace, and that was to daily choose to follow Jesus, right? That we daily make a choice. Today, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to walk the narrow path of loving mercy, doing justice, and living sacrificially, right? And so that's our first commitment, and we actually have a little prayer that I'm encouraging everybody who's a part of Crossroads to pray every morning, right? Today, I choose to follow your path, Jesus. Guide me to one person that I can bring your peace and your hope to today, and if we got that in our hearts as a community, imagine we wouldn't have enough seats. We'd have to use the bleachers, right? It'd be crazy, right? If we brought, look, and so many of you look back. There's bleachers here? What in the world is going on? I love it. Um, so that's great. Great. To have you. Uh, you know what? I, I got to ask a question. I live in tension. Do y'all live in tension? Do you ever feel conflicted? Like you got a couple of options in life? Like I'm conflicted by, I want to stay healthy. I'm in my mid-40s. I know it doesn't look like that. I shaved my head on purpose because I think it looks awesome. So I live in the tension of I want to be healthy heading into this second half of life, but I also like caramel corn. <laughs> I have to balance those things, right? I have tension there. I'm faced with choices, right? Do I get up in the morning and go to the gym? Or do I just not? Do I get that extra sleep? I want to sleep is important, right? Going to the gym is important. They're in clash with one another, right? We live in tension, right? We get torn and conflicted by decisions, right? We want to save for retirement, but we want to go on vacation, right? We we want to love our neighbor, but we want to take a nap, right? And we have these tensions we live in. We want to read a book, but we also want to watch that movie that just came out, right? We live in this tension, now, there's something called the balanced theory of wisdom in positive psychology, the balanced theory of wisdom. And the balanced theory of wisdom states that we all live a- in this place where we have multiple interests that are in tension. So we have intention with one another. So we have these three big areas of our lives, these interests, we'll call them, and we, we have tensions within them, but then we also have a tension that exists between them. So our first like place where we focus our effort and energy on, on these interests would be our intrapersonal interests, right? Intrapersonal. And what does that mean? Well, that's those interests that affect just me as an individual, right? That decision, do I have popcorn and, and, and caramel corn or do I not because I want to stay healthy? Do I have an apple or an orange, right? And so these choices that we make, you know, at their best have, often have to do with like our own sense of identity, who we are as individuals, the I am of me, right? So it's about self-actualization. It's about our own like, prestige in life. It's about our own popularity, the power that we might be able to have at work or in our lives. It's about prosperity and even like our own pleasure, right? What are we gonna do on Friday night? What am I gonna do on Friday night, okay? So, so these things often compete within our hearts, right? It's that idea that I wanna read a book and I wanna watch a movie. So those are intrapersonal. They just deal with me. Then we have interests called interpersonal, right? We focus our attention, our vision on our interpersonal interests. And these are interests that involve other people, right? These interests relate to our sense of who we are, but also it's in relationship to others. So it's my identity as it relates to people in a group, right, that I want to be a part of. For example, you're out with some friends. You want to go home because you're like me. It's 7 o'clock, like, why are we out? But you've got that one friend who's crazy enough to stay out until midnight, one o'clock in the morning, right? So you want to go home, they want to hang out for dessert, a drink, whatever it might be, right? That's an interpersonal kind of interest, right? And then the last area, which is a little tricky, and I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this so it can get confusing, is our extra personal interests. And these are interests that affect a wider organization. So it's not necessarily an interest of my identity, or it's an interest that I have with you in relationship, but it's about a broader category, like your community. And it's really kind of the context that we live in. So systems thinking, system organization, like a city is a living system, right? There's all kinds of factors that go into it. Your neighborhood is a living system, right? And if you don't think it is, go talk to your HOA president, right? And you'll find out real quick. It is a living system with all kinds of like, things bearing in on it, right? And so that's our extra personal, right? And and it has to do maybe with the identity or with the whole of a group. So think of oftentimes there's those interests of, well, I want to be a part of my local community. I want to help out in my neighborhood. I want to serve my country. I want to volunteer at church. And that competes then with maybe other interests that you have going on in your own heart and in your own life. Now, here's why I'm talking about this. Because peace, the idea of wholeness, justice, equity, right? Not just like calmness, but peace The the biblical concept of peace is broken when our vision fixates on one of these interest areas over another, when we get out of balance. So, you all have met people that are so focused on themselves that the relationship that they have to other people and to the community that they're a part of is really harmed. Does that make sense? Like you can be so focused on your own needs that you neglect your family, right? Anybody ever done that? Don't lie to me and say you haven't done that. You've done it, right? You can also be so focused on the needs of others that you neglect your own care. How many of y'all ever done that? You're church people. You do that all the time. You're just so loving, I know. And then sometimes you can get so fixated and you can have such interest on the strength and health of an organization or something bigger that you're a part of that you neglect relationships in your life, and you neglect your own personal health. This happens in church world all the time, in church world all the time, because we intermix our spirituality, concepts of the divine, we throw in words like eternity, we we leverage concepts like hell, and then all of a sudden we're doing so much in church that we actually have no time and no energy for these other interest areas of our lives that are important. And when that happens, right, so when we get out of balance, that's where injustice, that's where oppression, that's where self-harm begins to emerge, right? So how do we balance them? How do we balance these three areas in our life to promote peace? Well, I'm glad you asked that. That's a brilliant question. I know you were thinking it, right? You were thinking it like this. What does this have to do with anything? But what you were actually saying was, well, how do we find balance? Well, Scripture offers us a lot of wisdom, a lot of wisdom as it comes to this, right? Now, there's a story in this book of the Bible. It, it's really, it's a, a writing. It's in the old, what we call the Old Testament. It's a little pejorative if you're Jewish. So, Jewish Bible, which is part of the Christian Bible. And that, that text, it, it, there's these two books called First and Second Kings. And if you were to open up your Bible, hang a left, it'd be there. Or if you're scrolling, you're going to scroll down, right? You're going to go back to the top, right? So, First and 2 Kings kind of tell the story of the kings of the nation of Israel and Judah, Right, so Israel and Judah, north and southern kingdoms, they split at one point in time. But there's this great story about a guy named Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 3. And in 1 Kings chapter 3, you can read this whole story if you want to. But basically, Solomon is the son of David, and he becomes king. And it was a massive journey to get there to become king. Like a lot of David's sons were messed up, trying to become king. All kinds of crazy stuff. It's like Game of Thrones stuff for real, okay? And Solomon emerges as the king, and now Solomon is kind of faced with this reality that, boy, this is a big job. This is a big task. And so one night he has this vision while he's out, and it's interesting because the text says that he's out in like the high places, where the people who wrote first and kings, they were not fond of the high places. They thought these were like bad deals, right? They wanted everybody in Jerusalem. But he was out there and he was kind of worshiping the way they didn't want him to worship, but God still appeared there, which is always hopeful for me, right? That we can have, like, God is user friendly. That's what I say. I say, God is user friendly. Prayer is user friendly. It's one of my favorite statements, right? And so Solomon's up, and he's, like, doing all this stuff that you're not supposed to do according to the people who kind of are in control in Jerusalem that want all the tax money and all the revenue down there. So they're like, no, we don't worship elsewhere. And then, by the way, Jesus would come along 2,000 years and go, it doesn't really matter where you worship. So that whole thing about Deuteronomy and the place where I established for you to worship, that was nonsense. My paraphrase. Okay, so so here's Solomon. What's he going to do? God says, ask whatever you want. And Solomon asked for, for those of you that are Bible geeks like me, what did Solomon ask for? wisdom some of you know that asked for wisdom knowledge discerning spirit and it says this in 1 kings chapter 3 verse 11 god says to him because you asked for this now notice what solomon didn't ask for and think about it in relationship to those tensions i just mentioned you didn't ask for long life for yourself nor for riches nor for the life of your enemies but you asked for discernment to know what is right and now i'm going to do as you requested I give you a heart so wise and discerning that there has never been anyone like you until now, nor after you will there be anyone to equal you. And what this story does, now, now granted, this story was passed around for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, long before it was ever written down. I think this story tells us that early on, and as the, as the monarchy developed within the nations of Israel and Judah, that what was established in the Solomon story was that wisdom was the highest virtue for the leader of the nation, right? So this story became useful whenever there was a coronation ceremony, let's say whenever there was somebody who was entering into power, you look back at this story and you go, what should you ask for wisdom? Because see, Solomon knew that there was a tension between his own interests that he wanted as a person, as a human being, as a father, as a husband. He knew that there were the interests of the people at stake and he knew that there was the interests of the nation state as well. So over time, this story would be used in leverage, and it's still used in leverage. We still think about it. We still talk about asking and desiring wisdom. And so hundreds of years later on, we have this guy named Isaiah, and Isaiah is prophesying, and he is in a time where it is just absolute chaos in the nation. There is injustice running rampant. Leaders and rulers are not judging justly. The poor are getting poorer. The wealthier are getting wealthier. Again, we don't know anything about that gap happening. This is all kind of really has has nothing to do with modern times. But there was just this sense of injustice, and leaders were looking out for themselves, and they were looking out for their own interests. And in Isaiah chapter 11, Isaiah writes this beautiful poem. And he's like calling to the people, and he has this desire and this belief that God is going to raise up a leader in his time. And in Isaiah chapter 11, this is what he writes, a shoot will come out of the stump of Jesse. Jesse was David's father, for you might not know that. So David was considered to be the greatest king in the nation of Israel before the, the kingdoms divided. And so Isaiah's longing for one that would come in that line of David, that, that way of thinking, the man after God's own heart, the leader after God's own heart, and a branch will grow up out of his roots. And this is what it says. I love this. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. I think we're getting shadows of this concept that we identify now in Christianity as the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, or the Spirit of Jesus. Right? There's this idea and this spirit. And it says that this leader will delight in the fear of the Lord, and they won't judge by what they see or decide by what they hear, but with righteousness, they will judge for the poor. They will decide equity for the oppressed of the earth, and they'll strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he'll kill the wicked. It's the nonviolent reality. It's going to be through wisdom, through words, that injustice ends righteousness will be around his waist and faithfulness the belt for his loins. so Isaiah has this deep desire that there would be this ruler that would rise up filled with justice, bringing peace to the land, ruling with wisdom. And Christianity took that verse and looked at the life of Jesus and said, well, duh. This has got to be talking ultimately about Jesus. It's not that Isaiah wrote that, by the way, thinking, oh, in 2,000 years, there's this being that's going to take on flesh, and now we're going to have Jesus. No, like Jesus is the fullness of all that could possibly be wonderful and, and peace-filled. And so we say that Jesus is the fullness of Isaiah's vision for Israel's leadership, right? That's what, the, that's what we believe in faith as people who follow Jesus, Like, Jesus is worthy of following because he is this fullness of the vision for what it means to lead. And so, like, the gospel writers recognize this. Now, remember, the gospel writers are writing, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60, depending upon who you ask, 70 years after Jesus. Maybe, probably not eyewitnesses to everything that happened, but they had accounts, and they're shaping their stories. And we have these beautiful phrases all throughout the gospels about Jesus being led by this spirit. Spirit the spirit of wisdom. Luke chapter 2, verse 40 actually says that the child, Jesus, continued to grow and to become strong. And I love this phrase, becoming full of wisdom, becoming full of wisdom. Sometimes in our faith, we just believe that Jesus kind of came out of the womb filled with the fullness of everything, like immediately started doing higher algebra, right? Like Jesus didn't know anything about algebra, right? Like Jesus grew in wisdom. And honestly, I don't trust a a Jesus that didn't have to grow. I don't trust that there's a Jesus that I can relate to that didn't have to consider and grow in wisdom and walk down a path and go, "Eh, no, got to go down this path. And I love this little verse that Luke gives us that there was growth in Jesus, that he grew and that wisdom. And it says that he, he continued to grow and become strong, becoming full of wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now here's the thing that's so powerful about the Jesus movement, right? Jesus and John the Baptist are two different people. They have two different philosophies. Here's the thing about John the Baptist. John the Baptist, everybody went out to see John in the Jordan. You Got to go see John. John was his deal. John had his message. John was like an entrepreneur, right? John had it. But here's the thing. John's movement ended <laughs> with John but Jesus' movement was a movement of empowerment. He had a different philosophy, so he sent people out with a message. He empowered them to go. So it wasn't to say that the favor of God was upon him, and then that was where it ended, like John's kind of philosophy. No, Jesus was like, I'm going to give you this spirit. We're going to talk about it in a second. I, I'm here for you to be empowered, to have the favor of God on you. Now, the favor of God, can I please say this, has nothing to do with how much money you have in your bank account. Can I get an Amen. I hope you have lots of money in your bank account. Can I get an amen? Thank you. Let's just establish that right now. The favor of God rested on a Jewish peasant who was falsely accused, tried, and crucified. Okay? He never owned a home, had to have people support his ministry, so it has nothing to do... all with our material realities. Is there anything wrong with material goodness? No, not at all. But let's not confuse that the favor of God has to do with what car you drive, what house you live in. It just doesn't. Sometimes that just has to do with how wise you were with your money. Sometimes it has nothing to do with you. It's everything to do with the system that you're a part of that you and I have a certain privilege towards, or you lack that privilege but let's not call it the favor of God, because then we have to call it the unfavor of God for the billions of people on this planet. Oh gosh, now I'm just, okay, we're going to just let that one go, all right? (laughs) We're going to let that one go. So let's just say, so now, now here's the thing. Jesus is described in all four Gospels as being led by this Spirit and filled with this Spirit. In fact, in Mark and John, The opening chapters of Mark's Gospel and John's Gospel, John the Baptist says that he came to baptize, right, with water, but that Jesus came to baptize with the Spirit. Now, we can turn that into all kinds of things, but but the point is that Jesus' baptism wasn't, hey, come to me for repentance. You got to come. No, he's like, I'm going to give you the Spirit, and the Spirit is going to guide you. And in fact, this is what he says in John 14, in John uh, 14, 15 through 17, and then a little bit later in verse 28 this is what Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So is obedience to Jesus important? Yes. Not ob- but obedience to Jesus and obedience to religion are two different things. I mean, Jesus kept it pretty simple. Love God, <laughs> love others, love yourself. And that's what it was. So he says, I'm going to keep all my commandments. And he says, and I will ask the Father And the Father will give you another advocate to be with you always, the Spirit of truth, which the world cannot accept, because it neither sees nor knows it, but you know it because it remains with you and will be in you. The advocate, the Holy Spirit that the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I told you. Now, in Protestant world, which is where you're sitting in a Protestant church right now, part of the Reformation, Sola Scriptura. We love it. The Bible, all that good stuff. I'm totally cool with the Bible. I love the Bible. I think it's a wonderful resource. But Jesus did not say, I'm going to give you a book and this library is going to have 66 other books in it. And then you're just going to spend the next 2,000 years arguing about what it means and who should read it what way. No, he says, I'm going to give you a spirit. Now, here's what I think. I think the spirit's always been with us. I just think we didn't believe it. And Jesus comes to say, you got to live into it. It's kind of like, you know how like every state has their like lost property way of like, if you can go onto a website and you type in your name and they tell you, oh, you have unclaimed property. Did you know this? Some of you are like, what are you talking about? Yes, click on unclaimed property, state of Colorado, you put in your name, your social security number, whatever it might be, and then they're gonna tell you, oh yeah, you have this money that was owed to you by this company or this company, blah, 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 and you just put in your information and then like in two weeks, they're gonna send you a check. It's amazing. It's beautiful. So that's kind of like it, right? The Spirit of God's always present. We just got to kind of like log in and, and go, yeah, I'll take it, please. <laughs> I'll live into that truth. A, I think that's what salvation is about, anyway. It's just understanding and believing what's always been true of you and me, that we're forgiven, we're loved, we're children of God. All right, so here's the thing: the spirit of wisdom is a divine gift and a guide for anybody willing to listen. You gotta be willing to listen. Right? Proverbs chapter one, verse 20, the spirit is described as wisdom. And it says that wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the open square, she raises her voice. And all the ladies are like, amen. There's a reason why the spirit is using feminine pronouns, right? right? Wisdom, the spirit, she's calling out, crying out. Here's the question for you. In your own life, does she have laryngitis? Has, the, has wisdom, the spirit of wisdom, been screaming at you? screaming, trying to get your attention, and you've just been ignoring it. I've been ignoring it. And Here's what's so powerful. James, the letter that we call the letter of James, the, he was the leader in Jerusalem after Jesus, the ascension. James says in, one, in chapter 1, verse 5, Jewish, James is Jewish, calling on the whole heritage of the wisdom tradition, right? This is what James 1, chapter 5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should what? ask. Just ask. It's like, if you have unclaimed property, just visit this website, type your name in, and you'll get it. It's guaranteed. I love it. This is one of my favorite verses from the entirety of Scripture because it helps guide me to how to pray. I mean, it's my prayer. Give me wisdom in this situation. Give me wisdom for how to do it. Give me wisdom. I need wisdom, but it takes some humility on our part to say that but just give it. And, 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 and this God who's going to give it generously and ungrudgingly, is going to be given to you. And so here's, here's our like, commitment number two in the way of peace. So commitment number one is daily follow Jesus, right? I'm going to choose grace. I'm going to choose inclusion. I'm going to choose forgiveness. I'm going to choose mercy. This is what I'm going to do every day in my life. That's commitment number one. So commitment number two of the way of peace is this, listen to wisdom. I'm going to listen to wisdom. So I'm going to daily work hard for knowledge, and then I'm going to use it to rewrite the five unacceptable truths. So I'm not just going to gain knowledge, but then I'm going to use it to rewrite the five unacceptable truths. That's what we talk about here at Crossroads. So our five unacceptable truths in the world that break peace, spiritual emptiness, poverty, fear of the other, illiteracy, and human trafficking. Now, how many of y'all know there's a difference between listening and hearing? many of you have kids and you're like, "Mm mm-hmm, come on now, right? We can hear things all the time, but did we actually listen? Because listening is responding (laughs) to what we hear, right? And wisdom says, okay, I'm going to listen and I'm going to respond with courage and obedience. That's why I love this little prayer. Like, Jesus, today I choose to follow you in this path to peace. Guide me I'm gonna listen and I'm gonna courageously go. So this balanced theory of wisdom that I mentioned earlier, a guy named Robert Sternberg came up with that. He's kind of a big deal in American psychology, especially particularly positive psychology. He's kind of this titan. He was at one point in time the president of the American Psychological Association. He's developed all kinds of models around these topics that are just kind of fundamental to human experience. He talks about creativity and intelligence and love and certainly wisdom. And he he really was one who said wisdom is not iq it's not iq it's not levels of practical knowledge it's knowledge used only for the common good wisdom is knowledge used for the common good and this is what he wrote he wrote he said i looked at people like gandhi and martin luther king jr mother teresa nelson mandela take your own pick And if you compare them to Stalin and Hitler and Mao, they probably didn't differ much in IQ. It seemed that what differentiated them was wisdom. He wrote, a person could be practically intelligent, but use his or her practical intelligence towards bad or selfish ends. But in wisdom, one certainly seeks good ends for oneself, but one also seeks common good outcomes for others. So that's that balance. So how in our everyday normal lives do we listen to wisdom? So I'm gonna do this really, really quick, because this is a big high-picture overview. But there are five character strengths that grow wisdom in our lives. Huge, wonderful, big handbook on virtues. You've heard me talk about this before in the past, about the virtues that are shared amongst all cultures all over the world. There's six primary core virtues. And there's 24 character qualities that no culture anywhere on the planet says that's a bad idea. Right now, this is like human flourishing at its finest. So there's five things that we can grow in that will then grow us to become wise people. So we can, in our everyday normal lives, focus attention on these things, and what will flourish, what will happen, is wisdom will grow. Right, these five character strengths. So the first one is be curious. Develop curiosity in your life. Take an interest in things. Learn new stuff. Right. Just have that interest. So I want to encourage you as a part of Crossroads to get curious about the five unacceptable truths. Pick one. Pick one and just start to learn about it. Just pick one and get to know it. Engage with it. What are the contributors to poverty in the world? What are the contributors to poverty in my context, in my own city, in my own state? What are the contributing factors to to human trafficking? Human trafficking is a whole system. Lots of entry points and exit points. Lots of contributing factors in it. It's very complex. So you can learn about that. So be curious. Be a curious person. Second thing, a love of learning. So people who score high in the virtue of wisdom, they have a love of learning. So develop this love of learning. Now, does that mean you have to love reading? I talk with people all the time like, I'm not a reader. That's fine. I get it. No big deal. We live in a day and age where you don't have to be a reader to learn. We have podcasts, books, I mean, all kinds of stuff, books on audio. There's study groups to just converse and talk about things. So develop a love of learning. Intentionally commit yourself to, to engage with it every day right? You're motivated by this. You want to expand your knowledge on something. You want to expand your knowledge on the, the historical Jesus. You want to expand your knowledge on how was Jesus's life shaped by the writers of the gospel. You want to, like, gain knowledge on what's the history of the Christian movement. Like, where did we go wrong? Where did we get it right? right? be clear, there's all kinds of beautiful ways you can get that. And I think it is important that every day we're growing spiritually, now when I grew up, it was this intense, weird pressure to read your Bible every day. Every day. And then if you really loved Jesus, you were going to journal about it. Now, you're in big trouble in the Christian movement in the '80s and '90s. If you didn't like to read and you definitely didn't like to write. <laughs> so the principle, though, of daily submersing ourselves in something that tunes our spiritual heart is, is, is a value, but it doesn't have to be reading a bunch of words in a book of the Bible that mean nothing to you. That's my favorite thing. People are like, I started to read the Bible in one year. It's okay. Why? I don't know. They come in one-year Bibles. You know, there's no points for reading it in a year. Well, I started to, but then I hit Leviticus and forget it. <laughs> I'm not reading that nonsense. Am I right, Good for you, right? I just So so love for learning is engaging in ways that we actually learn, so there's all kinds of ways that that can happen, and, and, and I want to encourage you, think of yourselves as a holistic person spiritually, and, and as people in our context, in this faith community, committing ourselves to rewriting the five unacceptables, both as individuals and as an organization, consider your daily walk opportunities to engage. So listen to a podcast on human trafficking and anti-trafficking work, listen to a podcast on poverty. All truth is God's truth folks. It doesn't have to come from Christianity today. Right? <laughs> Understanding. <laughs> so I almost got a I almost got a round of applause for that. That's fascinating. <laughs> that tells me a little something about the room. Okay, that's good. That's good. All right? All truth. So so just engage in that and then be creative with your ways to engage. Get creative. Creativity is another one of those character qualities that grows wisdom. Right? So generate some ideas for how you can engage and how you can be a part of rewriting the unacceptables. Generate some ideas for how you can grow closer to and and, and be a part of what God is doing in the world. Right? Generate some ideas for how you grow and just become more in tune with God, present with God, what we call God, right? And, And these ideas are creative and unusual and surprising. Think outside the box. Just make sure they're making a positive contribution, right? Creativity, right, wants to make a positive contribution to your life. Don't come up with a creative solution that's harmful for you or others, okay? So that's what creativity is, right? It's, it's thinking outside the box. And then fourthly, it's exercising good judgment. So wise people grow in their ability to exercise good judgment. They have critical thinking skills, weigh the evidence. When you're trying to understand what are contributing factors to poverty, and maybe you've heard one thing, Right, You weigh the evidence, think things through, examine the evidence from lots of different sides, and don't just jump to conclusions. Man, I, I mean, I think as people of faith, for so long we just kind of jumped to conclusions about things. But I just think the Spirit of God says, I'm the Spirit of truth. And there's lots of competing voices. So judgment requires an open mind and our ability to change our mind in light of evidence. And that's a tricky one. Right? So we were open to other arguments and to other perspectives, which brings us to the last quality is maintaining a healthy perspective, a big perspective. Right? So perspective is the ability to see the big picture in life. And this is probably the trickiest one because it's, it, perspective allows us to see systems as a whole. Think, about, think in big terms and not just in simplistic ways. Living systems are complex realities. The church, this organization, complex reality, the city of Loveland, Fort Collins, whatever city you're living in is a living system. There's all kinds of levers contributing to things. And so we want to see a big picture of it all. I remember a few of us uh, last year, we went and we hiked up Evans, Mount Evans. And when you get to Mount Evans, there's a great overlook and you can actually see the city of Denver from there. And I'm going to tell you right now the city of Denver looks quite different from 14,300 feet than it does standing just outside of Mile High Stadium. It looks quite a bit different. You get a perspective of like how puny we are, like this is the best we got, right? This is the best we got in terms of building cities and civilizations and it is dwarfed by the surrounding nature and reality of it. So if the Bible's then a book of wisdom, you'll hear me say that all the time. The Bible's a book of wisdom. It should produce growth in these areas in our lives. Creativity. If we engage with Scripture, it should make us more creative. It should give us a bigger, broader perspective. It should produce in us a desire, a love for learning. Good judgment should make us curious, and that makes us wise peacemakers. But if we're engaging with the Bible, and it does the exact opposite, it makes us less creative. It gives us less of a broader perspective. We don't have a desire to learn other things. We don't practice. Right? We have to question, is the Bible the issue or is the way we engage with it an issue? But as a book of wisdom, it should do all these things in our lives. And then we become these peacemakers who are wise. We're people who take this hard-fought knowledge and we use it for the common good, rewriting the five unacceptable truths. And this will make us and our world a better place. One of the things I like to say is that Crossroads is for people who want to become better people and make the world a better place. I think, that's a, I think that's a beautiful, I think that's Jesus' vision for everybody he encountered. He wanted to make them better, give them opportunities to better themselves and better his religion and better his culture and his community. And it's a great space. So how does this do that? How does living into this type of wisdom do it? Well, it produces a balance for these three big areas that I talk about a lot, these domes. My story, our story, and the story. And so living a life of wisdom means that I can balance my story, the story of me, who I am, my personal identity, with our story, right? The people that are in my life, my family, people who share the same faith tradition as I do. Right, it can balance that, and then it can also balance it with the story, the big story of the universe, the big story at its highest level of what we call God at work, restoring and redeeming all things. And wisdom, the spirit of wisdom that Jesus says, I am giving this to you. It is yours. All you got to do is live into it. You just got to accept it. James, you got to ask for it. But this wisdom understands that we cannot make decisions and we cannot apply knowledge to only one of those spheres, to only one of those tension points. But wisdom says, you know what? I have to consider the impact of this choice on all of them. What will this do to my personal identity? What will it do to my relationships? And what will it do and be a part of the big picture of God's story? Because wisdom knows that oppression and injustice emerge when we don't balance those realities. So commitment number two every day, I'm going to listen to wisdom. I'm going to listen to wisdom. I'm going to look for it. So as we wrap up, I want to invite you to pull out your connect card, your offering envelope. We're going to receive those here in just a moment. I love that we have the connect card and that everybody fills it out because everybody has something to put in the offering, your connect card. So as we kind of do that this morning, I just, I love this question. What is God inviting you into today? First of all, maybe God's inviting us to ask ourselves is my vision too focused on one of these areas? Am I too focused on myself? Am I too focused on others? Am I too focused on the context that I live in? Am I too focused on the PTA? Am I too focused on the problems of the church? Am I too focused on that? So, or am I balanced? And by the way, when I say consider if my actions are consider, that's like my way of saying pray about it. <laughs> just pray about it, just consider. Just sit down and pause and consider. Open your heart up. Maybe you hear a whisper from the Spirit saying, hey, why don't you learn more about poverty? Why don't you learn more about fear of the other? Racism, sexism, homophobia, how that exists. Why don't you actually learn about human trafficking? So maybe it's this, just pick one of the unacceptable truths and say, I want to become a content expert. I just want want to devour and get more information about it. And I hope all of us sense this invitation to stay spiritually full. One of our unacceptables is spiritual emptiness. And I hope each of us says, I want to stay spiritually full by every day, every day taking time to engage with spiritual topics, either through reading scripture, listening to a podcast, understanding the unacceptables, reading something uh, that's focused on helping me think about my walk with Jesus. And so as you consider those you know, invitations. We have this great song, great hymn called Be Thou My Vision. And there's a verse in Be Thou My Vision that says, Be thou my wisdom and thy my true word. Not be all else to me. Right? It says, I ever with thee and thou with me. Lord, like wisdom is with me and I'm with wisdom. We're going to walk through this life together. Thou my great father and I thy true child. Thou in me dwelling and I with thee one. If I could rewrite this verse, which a lot of times we do, I would have said, wisdom my great mother wisdom my great mother and i'm your child because that's this beautiful we have that beautiful language in scripture that often gets hidden by our you know male-driven translations but there is this beautiful side of god that brings that in and so i just encourage you as we do this song as you finish up today just open up your heart and say you know what commitment number two listen to wisdom i'm gonna do that every day of my life i'll be back with our blessing here in just a moment